Kayla, Pastor Brent, Miss Heidi, thank you, Miss Robin, Brother Eric, for your ministry to us today. <clears throat> it's good to be in God's house, and all God's people said. I love and have for almost 30 years now, since I came to Christ at age 23, I did not grow up in a gospel-preaching church. I came to Christ because a co-worker, co-worker shared a gospel track with me. Again, I'll be sharing my testimony here in two weeks, but I love God's church. I, when I say that, I realize there are many genuine believers, and what do you mean when you say genuine believer? You've trusted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. You have a relationship with the Father through the Son. Amen. You're all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus, Galatians 3.26 tells us. But many genuine believers have different beliefs about what constitutes or what is, quote-unquote, the church. May I say that I believe the Scriptures teach that the church is, there is both the church and the local church. I believe the Scriptures teach both of those. You say, what do you mean by that, Pastor? Well, quote-unquote, the church is constituted of all the genuine believers around the world of all time and all ages, and one day when, glory to God, Jesus Christ raptures His church, we're going to have our first service. And Brother Lolly, it's going to be a good one. You better pack a lunch. Amen? When that church service gets together. You know what the Bible calls that in Hebrews 12, 23? It calls it the church of the firstborn. That ecclesia, those that have been set apart. Amen? And by the way, I believe that's the church that Jesus promised to build in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, when he said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I believe, and just many preachers for semantics sake call it the body, the body of Christ. That one body of Ephesians chapter 4, verse 4. Nothing wrong with that. I believe every bit of that. But, may I also say, God has clearly revealed in the New Testament the position of the local church. The local church. By the way, can I just say in passing, uh, as, as we study our Bible, particularly as we get into prophecy, something is a very, very important distinction is the church is not Israel and Israel is not the church. They are two separate entities. But God, God's word has revealed the importance of the prominence and the independence of local church. You're in Philippians. I want you to go back just a little bit to Romans. So take a, take a left turn there and go to Romans chapter 16. And I want us to just look at a few verses today in, in, in Romans and then uh, in uh, 1 Corinthians in regards to the local church. The local church. We are a local church. Loomis Park Baptist Church is a local church. It says in Romans chapter 16, verse number 1, please, it says, 
I commend unto you Phoebe, our sister, which is a servant of the what? The church. Who is he talking about here? Who is he writing to? He's writing to the church at Rome. Phoebe served in her local church. Look at verse number four, please. Who have for my life laid down their necks, unto whom not only I give thanks, but also all the what? Churches. Multiple local churches. This is an important distinction, ladies and gentlemen. There are some that believe in the quote-unquote universal church, but despise the local church. I don't think that those two things should go together, personally. You can believe in the body of Christ. You can believe in all the saved of all time, as, G as, as the Word of God says, that Jesus is building, and still believe in the local church. We're part of a local church. Oh, it goes on, verse number 5. Likewise, greet the church that is in their house. By the way, I love that. We are blessed to have a, a lovely building and property, and all God's people said. Thank God for this. But you know what? A building doesn't make a church. It's just the place where we meet. We, the church, meet. Thank God for people that have churches in their houses. Again, I mentioned a, a book that I've tried to read for the last five years, ever since it was brought into my life, is a, a book called Live Not By Lies. It's a phenomenal book by Rod Dreher. He talks about uh, Christians in the Eastern Bloc. Brother Ewald, they would meet in cold fields in the Russian Bloc to meet together. Churches, local church. Look at verse 16. Salute one another with an holy kiss. Watch out there, amen. The churches of Christ salute you. Multiple local churches. And all God's people said. See what we're driving at here? There is local church. Different bodies. He goes on there, verse 23. Gaius, mine host, and of the whole church, Salute you, Erastus. Go, go over to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Probably just a page over, maybe not even. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God and Sosthenes, our brother, unto the church of God which is at Corinth. You know what that is, Miss Judy? A local church. A local body of believers that met together in the city of Corinth. You know what we are? Loomis Park Baptist Church. We're a local body of believers that meets together here in Jackson, Michigan. Let me tell you just about local churches. And again, I'm driving to a point here, I promise. If you go back to Philippians chapter 1, Philippians, so we'll be in Philippians chapter 4 for the bulk of the message today. <clears throat> I'll try not to steer you too far. Individual local churches are to have members, pastors, which are also known as bishops or elders in the Bible, and deacons. And it tells us that there in Philippians chapter 1, verse 1. Paul and Timotheus, the servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus, which are at Philippi, with the bishops and deacons. Ladies and gentlemen, the local church is to gather together. 
Again, it tells us in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter number uh, 5, in verse 5, it says, when ye come together, not if ye come together, but when ye come together. It says in 1 Corinthians eleven eighteen, 18, when ye come together. And then in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 and 25, it tells us, and let us consider one another to provoke unto love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is. But so much the more as you see the day approaching. Listen, the local church is to have members, pastors, and deacons. The local church is to gather together. The local church has a service schedule. Members, I had somebody yesterday. It was precious, precious couple. Met with them and they said, what, what are your expectations of us as members? And I told them, I said, you need to give a million dollars a year. No, I didn't say that, amen. <laughs> I said, I don't monitor anybody's giving. I said, but one thing that's very important is attendance, not only for you, but also for the people around you. We expect our members to be faithful. Amen. So individual local churches are to have members Pastors, deacons, they're to gather together. They are to observe the ordinances of baptism and the Lord's Supper. The universal church doesn't do that. The local church does that. Tonight, Lord willing, we'll be baptizing four adults. Johnny Miller, his wife Tammy, and their children Tatum and Griffin, who are up with us passing out tracts on Friday night. Amen. The local church does that. The local church observes baptism in the Lord's Supper. Listen, in the local church, 1 Peter 5, 5 commands us to submit ourselves one to another. To submit ourselves one to another. It's not just about me and my liberty and my rights. It's about Uncle Joe. It's about Mr. Anderson. It's about Mrs. Kelly and my influence and effect on all of them. And I'm just the pastor. Every one of us in the pew say the same thing. We're to submit ourselves one to another. By the way, a person who submits themselves to their church family doesn't always have to have their way. And can I say this not only to one another, but the Bible does talk about submitting ourselves to appointed spiritual leadership. One of the qualifications of a pastor is that he rule his own house well. Why? Because it says if he can't rule his own house, how can he rule the church of God? Now, I'm not a dictator and I'm not authoritarian, but bless God, God does give the pastor authority to preach the word of God and to demand some things. Amen. It says in Hebrews 13, verse 7, we're to obey them that have the rule over you. Verse 17 says, submit yourself to them that have the rule over you. Verse 24 says, salute them that have the rule over you. There's an implication of biblical authority that is given. And again, it's not my authority, it's right here. We submit ourselves one to another into appointed leadership. Now, I realize that there have been authoritarian pastors who not only lorded over God's flock in a local church against 1 Peter chapter 5's commands to the pastor, by the way, but were more like cattle drivers 
than true shepherds. And I, years ago, I had a, a dear old evangelist. He was old. He was like 60. I mean, that, that was old back then, amen. At least it was when I was in my 20s, amen. And he said to me, he said, Brother Rich, he said, there are two kinds of pastors. There are shepherds of sheep and drivers of cattle. He said, you know where you find the drivers of cattle? Back in the wagon, whipping the cattle and forcing them to go somewhere. He said, you know where you find shepherds of the sheep? Gently out in front, leading their flock. Stopping when they need to stop, getting water when they need to get water, letting them graze, amen, and eat, and then moving on. But he said, the shepherd is always at the front, the driver is always in the back. Good piece of advice there. Yes, there are authoritarian pastors that aren't true shepherds, but I want to tell you this, that does not relieve the members of their responsibility to submit themselves to God and God-given leadership. If you can't submit yourself to a pastor, you need to go elsewhere and get someplace where you can submit under somebody. Fortunately, there are multitudes of local, church, local churches where you can choose to be part. Another important and perhaps the most important responsibility of a local church, we've mentioned several here about having members and pastors and deacons and gathering together and observing the ordinances and submitting ourselves one to another. Another important and perhaps the most important responsibility of a local church is to get the gospel to the ends of the earth and fulfill Christ's great commission. What did he say? He said it in each of the gospels, but also in the book of Acts, chapter 1, verse 8. He said, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. That is our responsibility as a local church. That is not the responsibility of the universal church. It is the responsibility of the local church. I know we're doing some teaching here this morning, but it's important. <clears throat> this again, the local church is to have authority in, in, in members' lives, and, and we, we go on with that, but missions is the way for the local church to fulfill Christ's command to get the gospel to the ends of the world. Thus, the local church and its leaders and its members must be what we call missions-minded. Missions-minded. What does that mean? We understand and we keep always before us that it is, our, God, it is our, our privilege, our duty, our responsibility to get the gospel to the ends of the earth. But can I say this also? The local church fulfills this in two ways. Because the local church doesn't just send missionaries across the world, it sends its own people across the street. And all God's people said. Amen. Praise God for the free Bibles outreach yesterday. We gave away 58 Bibles. Friday night, we gave away almost 2,300 gospel tracts at Michigan State University. Sowing the seed. That, listen, it's our privilege, but it's also our duty. You know how serious Brother Ken Lawley took that duty? He wore a Sparty hat on Friday night. Uncle Joe... I'm telling you, meet him at the altar. You guys can have prayer at the end of the service. Amen. He said, if my son sees this, he's going to kill me. I pointed out that he still had the tag on it because I thought he was going to bring it back the next day. Amen. <laughs> Why do we do that? 
Because, number one, we care, but because we want to be a missions-minded church getting the gospel to people. Let's look at a model local church, the church at Philippi. A model missions-minded church. This ecclesia, this called-out assembly. And I want us to look simple from the Word of God today. Simple message on the missions-minded local church. It must be, and I'll, I'll give 10 points here. Just, just take it easy. When I say 10 points, don't get nervous. I've got 22 points tonight, so this one will be half as long. Amen? No, really, it won't be long at all. We're, we're right on time. But number one, the missions-minded local church must be, number one, Loving. Loving. Look at verse 1, please. Paul, here after he just gives some of the greatest verses in your New Testament, in verses 20 and 21, our conversation is in heaven from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. What's he say? We're waiting for the Lord to come back. And what's going to happen when he does? Who shall change our vile body that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body according to the working whereby he is able to even subdue all things unto himself. Glory to God. This corruptible is going to be made incorruptible. And he says, therefore, in light of that, my brethren, look, look, at, look at the words he uses here. Look at the adjectives. Look at the adverbs. My dearly beloved and longed for. My joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord. And he ends it again with my dearly beloved. You know what I see here? I see love in the church. I see love that birthed the church, Paul, with probably Lydia, whose heart the Lord opened by the riverside, and the Philippian jailer and his family, whose heart God opened with an earthquake, probably constituted the, the, the formation of that first church there at Philippi. And Paul loved those precious people. You know, let me step away for a second. The longer I'm your pastor here, the more I love you, precious people. Some of you have been here since I came 14 years ago. Others of you have come along at different stages. Uh, I, I was talking with somebody, and we were mentioning, as a matter of fact, I was talking to a funeral director. I did a funeral on Friday over in Celine, and we were talking, and he mentioned that uh, an old pastor said to him, he said, you know, you, at a funeral, you got to really... You got to keep it together, and you got to you got to you got to be you know that's part of your job as a, as a pastor and stuff like that. And I I uh, I understood what he was saying, but I disagreed with him, Miss Judy. I said, you know what? The old the longer you're at a place, and the more you love people, when they pass off the scene, it affects you just like it affects everybody else. Listen, I, I love Ivor Powell. He's a great writer. And he said this uh, about the local church. He, he, he mentioned, he said, that uh, a church uh, without love is like a cold piece of machinery. He said a, 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 a heart uh, must be informed. And it must be informed by love. And this is what he said. He said this, The strength of the assembly is not assured by an influx of new members but by a deepening affection of those already there. <clears throat> Listen, no church can be missions-minded if they don't have a love one for another. 
Why? Because to be missions-minded, we're going to get to it here, you've got to work together. And if you don't love one another, and you've got ought with one another, and you're always fussing and feuding and fighting with each other, then God's not going to be able to work in missions through you. Number one, the missions-minded church must be loving. Number two, end of verse one there. Therefore, my dearly beloved and long for my joy and crown. So stand fast in the Lord. Number two, a missions-minded church has not only got to be loving, but it must be steadfast. It must, it must know, listen, the church, the church members, the church leadership must know what we believe and why we believe it. Again, I had a, a great conversation we were talking uh, about core ministry philosophy yesterday when I had this this uh, meeting with this precious couple Lord willing that's going to be joining our church and they mentioned uh, during COVID and we were talking about during COVID is COVID COVID was an interesting time it really was it was a time that exposed that many pastors don't have a core philosophy about what they believe it exposed it and th this man was t talking to me in regards to uh, a religious exemption from the COVID shot, which, by the way, I did for several of our members. I, they, they said, we need the clergy to write. I wrote it like that. Why? Because my core philosophy says that my body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, and it is up to me what I put in it. That's core philosophy. It's up. My conscience is not for sale. That's core philosophy. That's steadfast. Listen, church, we need to be steadfast in, in several things. We need to be steadfast in our doctrine. I, I'm not mad at what everybody else believes, but just because they believe something different about this book doesn't sway me one bit. Not one bit. I know what I believe about it. I, I know what I believe about the coming of the Lord. We're going to get into this prophecy message. I have friends that believe something different. Fine. That's fine. But as a church, we need to be steadfast in our doctrine. You know, we need to be steadfast in our demeanor. That doesn't mean, forgive me, my pulpit manner and my bedside manner are polar opposites. Polar opposites. I, I remember somebody said to me not long ago, they said, Pastor, I, I felt like I couldn't approach you. I was like, have you ever met me? You know, <laughs> I feel like I'm pretty approachable. But I, I learned, Uncle Joe, that some people take how you are in the pulpit and they think that's how you are. For, no, I'm preaching with the authority of God here. I'm preaching the Word of God. But our demeanor, we can still be steadfast in our demeanor. I think about people that are swayed. They're, they're carried about with every wind of doctrine. No, be steadfast. You know what? We need to be steadfast in our duties. We, we, we live in a selfish age where duty and responsibility is trumped by rights and pleasure. It, I, I detest, forgive me, within a local church body where someone says, well, I have the right to do this. Huh? You know you have the duty not to, my brother. Paul said, all things are lawful to me. But all things are not expedient, and all things edify not, he said. So I don't think I'll do it. Steadfast, doctrine, duty, demeanor. Loving, 
Thirdly, the missions-minded local church. Oh, this is so important. I think it's probably the key. Must be unified. Must be unified. I love that Paul mentions two brothers by name here. Because sometimes when you read, like, listen, you read in the Bible, you read about Abraham's faith, or you read about Elijah calling down fire, you read about the church of Philippi, and you think to yourself, well, they're like super, super Christians or super prophets, and, and this is a super church, and they never had any problems, and they never had any issues. Not true. He says to, in verse 2, I beseech Yodius and I beseech Syntyche that they be of the same mind. If you go back, in the Lord, that's right. If you go back and look at Philippians 2.2. 2, he says there, fulfill ye my joy that ye be what? Like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord and of one mind. Go back to Ephesians chapter 4. It's probably two pages back. It says there in verse 1, I therefore the prisoner of the Lord beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called, with all lowliness and meekness, with longsuffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Missions-minded local church has got to be loving. And that starts at home. Secondly, it's got to be steadfast. We can't be waffling on what we believe. Otherwise, we don't really believe it. Number three, we need to be unified. Listen to me. There are all kinds of personalities in a local church. And personality conflicts do not need to move into personal conflicts. There's all kinds of different people. And again, the illustration that God gives of his local church is the body. He uses the human body to point out to us that some in a church are a thumb. Some are a toe. Some are a hip. Some are a heart. Some are kidneys and liver and pancreas and all those parts. Matter of fact, he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, talking to the church at Corinth, he talks about how those uncomely parts are more needful. You know, I've never seen a beautiful liver, but try and live without one. Huh? We, listen, if we're going to be a missions-minded church, and, I, and we are, ladies and gentlemen, I'm, I'm not abrading today, I'm, I'm exhorting. We've got to be unified. We've got to look past these little personality differences and th this, this person likes hunting and this person likes fishing and this person, uh, you know, into the politics or whatever, blah, 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 blah. None of that matters. What matters is we're unified under Jesus Christ with the power of the Holy Spirit. And I'll tell you what, if, if you're unified, it'll help you when those little, those little disagreements come into church you know what it helps you do? Pour water on that fire instead of gas. Say, man, we got, we got to stay unified. When I, when I think of Phil Tharp on the field, when I think of the Grahams on the field, when I think of the Tinksons over there in Australia, I think to myself, what would happen if a little personality conflict blew up in our church and 50 people walked out and took their missions money with them? We've got to be unified. 
got to be unified. And in Ephesians, it tells us about doctrinal unity. That whole chapter of chapter 4 is about unity. But loving, mission-minded local church must be loving, must be steadfast, must be unified. Here we go. Philippians 4, verse 4. Look what it says. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say, where did Paul write this epistle from? Prison. He wasn't at the Roman Hilton. He was in prison. And you know what he told us, Brother McKinley? He said, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Someone recently told me, said, one of the things I love about coming to Loomis is there's a joyful spirit. Yes. Rejoicing. Why? We're rejoicing in God's plan. We're rejoicing in God's purposes. We're rejoicing in God's protection. Hey, uh, I think about our Thanksgiving Eve Eve service. We always rejoice in God's provision in our lives over this last year, how He's blessed, how He's worked. Rejoice in the Lord always. A missions-minded local church will have joy. And you know what? If you get so much joy in a missions-minded local church, you can't help but want to spread it around, which is what missions is all about. Rejoicing. Unified, steadfast, loving. Number four. Five, rather, I'm sorry. Verse five. Let your moderation be known unto all men. What is that? Number five, the missions-minded local church is to have members who are moderate or controlled in their living. We, we, we live in a day where there is no moderation. Amen? No balance. By the way, sometimes even things that we believe in people are out of balance in. If you sit at home watching 23 hours of YouTube... You might be out of balance. And just take the might off there. Amen? Oh, I, I gotta, gotta find out what's gonna happen here. No. Let your moderation be known unto all men. The hardest thing that we strive for in the Christian life is just balance. There are men in this room, you're, you have a job, you're a husband, you're a dad, trying to balance those, you're a Christian. You have duties, responsibilities, trying to keep all those in balance. Get good rest. Got to eat. Got to eat right. And all God's people said, yeah, I'm going to have to preach a message on gluttony soon with that weak amen. Moderate. Listen, I've said it before. I'll say it again. I'll say it till I die. There are some places Christians shouldn't go, and there's some things Christians shouldn't do. And this is the verse that supports it. We're to be moderate. The Lord's, at, the Lord's at hand, meaning He could come at any moment. Moderate. Missions-minded local church is moderate or controlled in their living. Verses 6 and 7, oh, you know these verses. Blessed verses. Be careful for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving let your requests be made known unto God, and the peace of God which passeth all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. The missions-minded local church is prayerful and peaceful because they are prayerful. 
God gives us the peace of God when we pray, when we bring our requests to Him. I think about some churches and members get so preoccupied and worried about their own needs that they neglect the missionary's needs. Here's what God wants you to do with your needs, with, with the things that bother you. He wants you to make your requests be made known unto Him so He can give you peace and so you can help bear the burden of others. Prayerful, moderate, rejoicing, unified, steadfast, loving. Number seven, verse eight. The missions-minded local church must be right in thought. Right in thought. What does it say there in verse eight? Philippians chapter four. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, well, that'll shut off a lot of televisions. <laughs> whatsoever things are just. Whatsoever things are pure. There it goes. Whatsoever things are lovely. Whatsoever things are of good report. If there be any virtue and if there be any praise. What, church? Think on these things. In the context of our message today, can I, can I encourage you, the, those of you that give to missions, maybe some of you are here and you don't, give to missions, we, again, we're, we're blessed in this area, but is there anything more lovely? Is there anything more just? Is there anything more pure? Is there anything more virtuous than taking our lucre, putting it in a plate, sending it off to South Africa, or Sri Lanka, or fill in the blank, Spain, so that other people can hear about Jesus. That's just a right thinking, missions-minded church is right thinking. God did not intend for you to get all you can and can all you get. Right thinking, right in thought, prayerful, moderate, rejoicing, Unified, steadfast, loving. Verse 9. Those things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me. What's in that next little word, church? Do. Missions-minded church must be doers of the word. Not just hearers only, not, not just preachers only. Doers. Doing what? The word of God says. James 1.22, be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving your own self. Again, the parable of the, the two builders that Jesus gave. The story of the two builders. One built his house upon the rock, one built his house upon the sand. What's the difference between those two builders? One thing, the foundation. And this is what Jesus said the foundation is. The one who builds his house on the sand is the one who hears the word of God and doesn't do it. The one who builds his house upon the rock is the one who hears the word of God and does what it says. And then the storms come and reveal the foundation. Christian, when a storm comes into your life, you're going to find out if you've been a doer or a hearer. A mission, forgive me if we can put it this way. A missions-minded church, when it comes to doing, puts their money where their mouth is. Huh? 
doers of the word. Oh, I love verses 10 through 14. We're right on time here. I don't have time to read all of this, but I love what he says there in verse 10. He says, but I rejoiced in the Lord greatly. I love the fact that he tells us to rejoice, but then he says, by the way, I know I'm in prison, but I was rejoicing. That now at the last, your care of me hath flourished again, wherein you were also careful, but you lacked opportunity. And you, you can go on, you, you look there, it says in verse 14, it says, Notwithstanding ye have well done, ye did communicate with my affliction. Number nine, the missions-minded local church must care for and about missionaries. Must care for and about missionaries. You know, I, I had posted this week on just, just 12 ways to be a missions-minded church. I've, I've posted it before. and just all I, all I ever want to do with those posts is just encourage maybe another church that doesn't know, you know some of these things, doesn't have the, the heart for missions that you folks have and whatnot. But I think about you know, just some simple ways that we do that as a local church. Obviously, we, financially, we'll talk about that in just a moment, we do that. But prayerfully, we have our monthly midweek missionary prayer meeting where we pray for missionaries. But any time a missionary visits, forgive me, ladies and gentlemen, it's a big deal to us. You know, I think through the years, and I look back at some of our longer-standing missionaries, the McClure's, missionaries to Great Britain. They came, Brother Stark, one time. One time during missions conference. I think it was either 2011 or 2012. And Brother Lolly, we took them on. And, we ha and forgive me, I don't mean this the wrong way, we haven't seen them since. But their family's growing. Their ministry's growing there in England. And we, since she had, she lost a baby a couple of years back. The people of God care about those things. Just as if this couple was sitting in our church, we would care. You know, the church at Philippi cared about Paul. And he cared about them. That's the way it works. Amen. The missions-minded church. I think about when a missionary pulls in, I'll have somebody come up to me and they'll say, Mr. Anderson, they'll say, uh, hey, uh, preacher, I was looking at the missionary's tires and uh, they're looking a little bare. Okay. We'll get the men together. Huh? Think about different missionaries through the years that we've supported. Uh, how many of you remember the Craigs? All those children. My goodness, they're all, almost all grown now. I remember they had a vehicle issue, a serious vehicle issue. We took it over to Deeks. Deeks did the work at cost, just charged us for parts. But as a church family, we took care of that. We took care of that. We've helped missionaries. I, I think about how we've helped missionaries with building projects and vehicles on the field and, and helping them buy gospel tracts and all these things. Why? Because, forgive me, we care. We care about them. We're not, we're not looking to check off a, a, a checklist. 
a box that says, well, we did this for you, and we did, no, not at all. We've got missionaries coming here uh, mid-September, and then again in October, we just had Brother Pledger with us for our tabernacle service, and so blessed. The missions-minded church cares for and cares about missionaries. I love the fact that some of you will say, hey, did you read the such-and-such missionary letter? Did you see what happened? I love that because I know you care about missionaries. Lastly, and then I'll give you some applications. Verse 15. Now ye Philippians know also that at the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but ye only. For even in Thessalonica ye sent once and again unto my necessity. Not because I desire gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. Lastly, missions-minded local church must be loving, steadfast, unified, rejoicing, moderate in their living, prayerful, right in thought, doers of the word, care for and about missionaries, and lastly, they must be sacrificial and generous in their giving to missions and to missionaries. Pastor, you're always talking about money. You're right. But I don't have sticky fingers. What comes to missions goes to missions. I think about, I, I've, I've discussed this with other pastors and other missionaries have told me when they go to large church, large church, five, six hundred, seven hundred people, they get a $250 offering. Nothing wrong with that. That's a blessing. I tell missionaries all the time, I said, when you come, you're going to get a little more than that, but we're also going to take an offering of our membership and we don't keep any of it. You know why we do that? Because God blesses generosity in his people. Give and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, running over, shaken together, shall men give into your bosom. For with the same measure ye meet, it shall be measured with all to you. God uses the same size shovel in your life that you shovel out. The same in our church. I've, I've just learned through the years, if we'll just be generous to God's missionaries, to God's people, God will bless our church. And you don't have to be at too many business meetings to know that he does. Missions is the heartbeat of God, and missions takes money. Period. Applications today. So the missions-minded local church must be loving, steadfast, unified, rejoicing, moderate in their living, prayerful, right-thinking, doers of the word, care for and about missionaries, and sacrificial and generous in their giving to missionaries. Applications, questions for us to ask ourselves. Are we a missions-minded local church? I, I think we are. I think we are. Again, about 11, 12 years ago, we were supporting 16 missionaries. Today, we support 64. That's not a brag. That's saying we're, we're about this business. But here's the real question. Are you a missions-minded member? Because a church can have an attitude towards missions, but if the members don't give and the members aren't missions-minded, it won't last very long. Usually dies with a pastor. But if the church gets a hold of it, if the members get a hold of it, it'll go on until the Lord comes. Number three, remember, 
missions isn't just around the world, but it's across the street, too. We try to give opportunities for outreach here at Loomis Park. We just had our Civil War muster. Lord willing, we'll do that again next year. For the, uh, since 2015, we've gone up to Spartan Stadium. Great opportunity. Each Saturday and Thursday, Brother Anderson runs our free Bibles outreach. What an opportunity. That's missions. The light that shines farthest shines brightest at home when it comes to missions. So remember, missions isn't just around the world, but across the street. How's your commitment to Christ? You not care at all about missions? If you don't, I, I would say, number one, maybe you just haven't been taught. Or number two, maybe you've just allowed yourself to get a little cold. Because Jesus cares for the souls in India as much as he cares for the souls in Jackson. And he needs committed believers. He needs committed believers. Are you a member of a missions-minded local church? Submitted one to another to the members. And here, probably most of all, this is where the rubber meets the road. Have you presented yourself to God to be involved in missions? The Bible tells us that we're to present our bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Why is it reasonable? Because of what Jesus did for us. It's reasonable. He went to the cross, he died, he shed his blood so that we who were guilty and worthy of death could have life and have it more abundantly. You say, what if God calls me to Zambia? What if he calls you to support people that go to Zambia? You're either a missionary who goes or a missionary who sends or disobedient. Missions-minded local church. Let's make sure that when Jesus comes, he finds Loomis Park Baptist Church faithful in this area of missions. Father, we love you. Thank